Welcome to the podcast where Beast Mode meets Manifesting Goddess. We are here to chase our dreams while in a magnetic, high vibrational state. Crushing your goals can feel like self-care. I'm your host, Kayla Van Egdom, and I am so excited to help you slay and thrive. Hello and welcome back to the Slay and Thrive podcast. So excited you picked this episode. You probably picked it from the title because it is going to be juicy and fun and playful and I have a special place in my heart for this episode because it's actually an interview with one of my coaches. And she helped me through a very pivotal time in my life. And it was really after that pivotal time in my life where everything started to shift and evolve and transform for the better. So this woman has some magical abilities. She has amazing things to say in this episode. We cover a lot of ground. So we talk about this idea of sexual alignment and how it looks different for every single person. We talk about shame and some of the challenges people have with owning their desires and how we can really minimize that shame. We talk about some of the common challenges that people have in relationships or with their sexuality and ways to work around that. And we just talk about how to create more play in our lives because that is such an important part of thriving. It was an amazing conversation and just on a personal level for me, it was great getting to reconnect. So this is Corrine Underwood. She is a sex and intimacy and relationship coach as well as a sexual education person as well. I don't person is not the right word, but you know what I mean. So she wears many hats, she has many skills, and she's an incredible person to both work with and listen to. If you want to find out more about her, I've included some links in the episode description and enjoy this fantastic conversation with Corrine. All right. Corrine, welcome to the Slay and Thrive podcast. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here and to see you again. Yes, like right before this, before we hit record, we did a little bit of catching up and uh, it's just, it is really good to see you again because you were so instrumental in setting a lot of great things in motion for me. And I know my listeners are just going to love hearing what you have to say as well. Awesome. I'm excited. Thank you. Yes, you are very welcome. So I'd love for you just to first start out just sharing a little bit about A, what you do, how you help people, and then also what led you to becoming the coach and the help that you are out in the world. Thank you. It's um, It's been a let's say a a passion that has been sparking since I was 12. (laughs) Uh, I am a certified sexual therapeutic wellness coach, and I work with individuals and couples to heal their bodies, to come back into full sexual alignment, fulfillment, to really tap into pleasure, uh, to set proper boundaries uh, in forms of consent as well, and 
and really communicate what they need and, and reduce and minimize shame because we're always have a degree of shame in our life, but it's how we're able to sort of work with it um, and to not let it impact the way that we express ourselves sexually and from a pleasure standpoint. So I also am a sexual health educator and I work with youth and families around comprehensive sexual health and consent in the school systems and supporting parents uh, in the home. So it's really gratifying work for me. Um, why I do the work that I do? Well, I've always been an edge walker, let me say. <laughs> and this work that I do, I am edge walking because it's pushing boundaries. It's, uh, it is challenging the rigid systems that we have lived in for a long time. Uh, and there is a need. And thankfully, there's a few of us that are doing this great work but it really started out uh, in my youth. Uh, I, at the age of nine, I started menstruating, which in those days was pretty early. I was shamed for that. Uh, I had a lot of body shame around it. I was bullied. I was a professional athlete. I was on the national tennis team at the time. And basically I was told that I wasn't doing as well because I had gained weight <laughs> and it was this normal body development, right? Growing hips and breasts and and I found it a very confusing time because I had been this super confident youngster that was uh, always, you know, expressing myself physically and mentally. And now I'm into this different realm that it wasn't okay from a societal standpoint. And I didn't have a support system there. It was a confusing environment at home. It wasn't things that we spoke about. Um, my parents were, you know, they're great parents, but they were having their challenges uh, from a marital standpoint. My mom wasn't getting her needs met sexually as I understand it now. And so I, it was a confusing time and I'm the youngest in my family. So without going into too much detail, what that led me at the time was to morph my body into a prepubescent state. And the only way I knew how to do that was to stop eating. And so that led me down and with an eating disorder of anorexia and bulimia for almost 15 years. But through that time, I had this curiosity about my body. And in as much as I was sort of living in this, a bit of like this fear and shame and stigma around expression and acceptance of bodies, I wanted to find another way. I had that desire and that passion within me. And so once I got physically healthy, it led me down a journey to start helping women, first of all, around menstrual health and wellness, because there to this day, there's still a lot of stigma and shame around that. And how do we honor our bodies in that way? I took my programming internationally. So I worked with women in India and Nepal and, and one thing led to the next. So I started learning about uh, different lifestyles and Tantra and orgasmic meditation and uh, and what it means to be a woman in different cultures and society and how we navigate through that and also navigate through all genders and body types. Um, and but truly, it wasn't until I gave birth to my daughter at 38, I was doing work in international business development, part and parcel alongside my passion and love for sexual health. But it wasn't until she was born that I decided to really bite the bullet and go back to school and pursue my education in this realm. And so here I am today and still very much an edge walker, <laughs> if you will. So there you go. Oh, so much amazing stuff there. I a, love the idea of sexual alignment. That just 
speaks to me. And I think it's it's something that is so important for everyone and everyone is so different. And like you said, minimizing that shame because just because something is right for me, for example, and not right for this person, you know, that just means we have different ways of aligning sexually. And I also just want to touch on the fact that um, it is so common for people to get bullied for that, like early development. I was in the same boat. I think I was same thing, eight or nine. I was the first one that like developed breasts and like in the change room, they're like, Kayla, get a bra. None of them needed a bra. And it was like, it was tough. And I think that you do carry some of that into like your sexual world when you do get older. And then the other thing, because so much good stuff you said there was it seems like there's almost a connection between if you have this like disordered relationship to your sexuality and your body, it often comes through in food. Have you seen that a lot with people you've worked with? Absolutely. Well, I can relate to that myself. And, uh, you know, going through anorexia bulimia, it was, it was almost to the point that I, food is, is such a pleasurable part of life right? It's, there's a necessity, of course, from a nutrition standpoint, uh, and health and well-being, but it is, we, we gravitate towards pleasure in all aspects of life. And food is a big component of that. And I feel that through my experience, it was like this denial of pleasure. And it, it, for me, it wasn't until I developed a relationship with pleasure. And what I mean by that, a relationship of acceptance, that this is something I want. This is something that I desire. And this is something I deserve. And so once I was able to look at it from a concept of pleasure, which is holistic, it is sexual pleasure is pleasure in social aspects is pleasure in food is pleasure in nature and that this is something that I deserve as a human being uh, it really changed my whole relationship with food uh, and I do find that that as we when I work with uh, individuals particularly that have had um, challenges if you will around that the, the food and body relationship, is as they start to really honor themselves and really tap into the desires and nourishing pleasure from a need standpoint of something that um, they can choose to decide how much or how little, but it's for them, it's not for somebody else, um, that that piece starts to come into alignment as well. Uh, And it's everything is so linked here, I find. Mm -hmm. Definitely so many different connections between the two. So, So alongside those like food and eating challenges, you often see alongside the sexual challenges with your clients. What are some of the other common roadblocks or obstacles your clients or couples as clients come to you with? Yeah, it, it, it does. There's quite a range, you know, sexual health doesn't exist in a vacuum. So it's, um, there's so many aspects of our being and I like to kind of approach it from, I call it the 4D, it's like a wheel. And so we are made up of our belief systems, what we feel in our emotions, what we sense in our body. Um, And if one or more of those things are out of alignment, it is going to affect our our relationship with sex and our, our sexual being. In particular, I find that, you know, having the opportunity to come in and work with individuals and couples, I'm, I'm coming in without attachment, right? I don't, 
I, I don't know their story. I don't know their patterns, but it allows me the opportunity to observe the patterns that they're living in. And, and when we are immersed in our own pattern, it makes it very difficult to see that from the outside. So I'm able to see that, get, have that perspective. Um, and so what are some of the things that are challenges? Well, communication is a big one, right? Uh, if we are living in shame, uh, if we, if there is this, you know, culture of, of that, you know, it's something's wrong, it's taboo, that we shouldn't talk about these things, then it's going to be more challenging to express and to really decide what we want and what we won't want and how to voice that. So communication is a big piece. Um, but also, it's more that acceptance of our bodies uh, and, and the, the value that pleasure uh, places in our life. Uh, there's also trauma, a lot of trauma. And, and it's not just trauma such as a major life event um, where it be rape or abuse or a car accident I refer to trauma as sort of a spectrum uh, trauma can be these micro abrasions that we have over the course of a lifetime that we don't feel we have full voice and choice over our decision making and that gets ingrained in our body and so it's working with clients to really help them first of all understand the root of that and now work with exercises to sort of realign and rewire their body so there's a lot of diversity here but I do generally find that there's a linking between what we are dealing with as adults, particularly when it comes to intimacy and sexuality, and the experiences and the relationships we had growing up as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and the important piece here too, and particularly as a coach, is that it is important from a therapeutic standpoint to to understand the why, to understand why something happened. That is an important part of healing. But if we can't then, once we've understood the why, if we don't have the support to to gather the tools to then move beyond the why and really discover the how uh, and how, like how we integrate change in a positive format, then we're just gonna get stuck in that story again. And so where the magic happens is that, you know, when the individual or the couples are ready to move beyond the why and they're like, okay, this is where we're at and we want the support and how to move forward and to integrate and and to live a life more in alignment and more pleasure. That's, that's where the magic happens. And that's really the work that I do to support them with that. Absolutely. And I think that is one of the things I loved working most with you and actually with the last counselor I had, because before that, I think a lot of traditional therapy gets very just steeped in the why and always trying to figure it out and figuring it out and figuring it out. But as you mentioned that how and having those tools to use to move forward is equally as important as having that like baseline of awareness. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. And, you know, for me as a, as an individual, yes, I have a coaching hat on, but I'm also human. Right. And I find that um, as I continue to honor my my growth and my development um, and I, you know, I, my goal is to be a continual role model for people, particularly in this realm of work that I do, because we need positive role models. But 
the, the more that I do the work myself and, and we're always going through these changes in our bodies and our life stages. Uh, it's interesting, the more that I'm able to offer my clients um, and, and not that I share my personal experiences, but more, again, coming from um, a place of acceptance within myself allows me a greater opportunity to, uh, again, not be attached to my clients, but really fully step in and be there and support them. Mm-hmm. I love that for sure. And then the other thing that you mentioned was this idea of trauma and that it's not always these big things. And I think just honoring, like you called it micro abrasions. And I think it can be for a lot of people cumulative over time. And that can play a big role on someone when they have had like 20 or 30 of these little things, little in quotation marks happen over the course of a lifetime. Um, So do you have any like favorite tools or specific strategies that you just really love using with your clients? Yeah, it's a great question. So one of the one of the ways that has been studied most recently by particularly by um, Dr. Peter Levine is, is sort of the somatic awareness side. So soma means coming home to the body, right? It's a Greek term. And it is literally sort of being present with your body and breath to start to notice is sensation. And, 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 it, and truly what it's doing is that it's um, allowing us to tap in to our instinct. And what happens is often that when we have experienced trauma, again, the, the degree from, you know, one to a hundred, our body then goes into that fight, flight, freeze, or dissociate response. So we kind of lose touch with our instinct, our, our, I like to call it our sense of knowing. And in order to get that back, it's literally starting to listen. It's starting to tune in. It's listening first with what's inside before we cognitively make a decision. And that is a practice because we are so used to thinking with our brains, right? Moving through life with our brain rather than what we're sensing. So that's the biggest foundational work that I do. And there's many ways we can do that. It's very individualistic, but in short, it's really about exercises that are body-based exercises to start to feel again on the inside. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. We do often try to just think our way out of everything, even if we're feeling like an opposite body response, right? So And that's one thing that I've learned is that your body gives you that feedback first and then your thoughts start to come. And sometimes you'll even be like, I shouldn't be thinking that I'm going to think differently, but your body is still giving you that different feedback. And I think there is so much wisdom in our bodies that we don't always listen to. Absolutely. There's an amazing book called the body keeps score and our bodies really do keep score. Um, And, you know, just even in the work that I do with youth is that, uh, you know, it's basically when you get into a situation, what do you notice? What are you noticing side? Is it a feeling of excitement or is it a feeling of like concern or dread or fear and sort of kind of identifying that because that's really what's going to help keep us safe as we kind of grow through the lifespan. And how do you work with those like clients or those youth who don't even know what they're feeling? Like they might have like the butterflies in their chest or like certain physical responses, but they don't actually know what it means. Are there ways to help people make those connections? 
Absolutely. And this is a lot of the work that I support parents on. And, you know, common thing for kids, particularly, you know, from that eight to 14 age group <laughs> uh, is they will get stomach aches. Okay. Stomach aches is like, oh, I don't feel like eating. I have a stomach ache. And generally a stomach ache is so much more than what is, it's just a stomach ache, right? It's, it's, it's something else going on. And, and so one of the things that I encourage the parents and the youth to work with is, okay, okay. First of all, you know, place a hand on the part of your body that doesn't feel right. Okay. So, so one of the way we want to ground ourselves is like placing a hand on it, on our heart, on our leg, on our, our gut, on our stomach. So it's like, I'm here in this body. So that's sort of the, the first step. The next step is say, okay, so uh, I have a stomach ache. So what is your stomach ache telling you? Does it, you know, is it, is it hot? Is it cold? Is it jumpy? Is it, and if they like, I don't know, it's like, doesn't feel anything. Well, numbness is a feeling. So, you know, thank you for sharing what it's telling you. If you were to give it a color, what color would it be? If you were to give it a shape, what was the shape? You want to draw it down, draw the shape of what, what it feels like inside your body. Now you starting to get them way more specific. So now they're like taking it from here and they're putting it out here. And I find with kids, like drawing is a good thing, or they can show with their hands or they can do a movement. So actually like taking that sensation and putting into something that's kinesthetic and in, into the effect that they're almost like taking it out of their body and they're going, okay, I don't, I'm going to just like put it on the side and I'm going to look at it. And it can actually make it playful and fun to the point that now they're not really focusing on the discomfort. They're focusing on like, what is this? Like, what can I do with it? And they can even have a conversation with it. So we're, we're making it a practical thing that they can actually do something with that's not going to like immobilize them into a state of like, you know, not, we want to bring them back to a place of resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. And I imagine every kid is really different. You might tell some like yeah. to like pick a color and they're like, I don't know a color, but you get them to draw and all of a sudden they can start to figure it out in their own way. Yeah. Absolutely. And a lot of times kids just kids need to move energy, right? Like anytime we have a feeling in our body, it's really just energy that's sort of stuck together. So, you know, it might be like, okay, we're going to do some jumping jacks, or we're going to dance around the room, or maybe you're going to punch a pillow, right? Like having an outlet to move that energy in a safe environment is really key. Yes. And I think that's fantastic advice for adults as well, because same thing, we get the stuck energy and then we often resist it but if we were just to say hey I'm feeling mad and then like rage cleaned our kitchen or like went on a run or something it moves so much of that energy absolutely absolutely yeah I, I and you know on the flip side a lot of times like uh, some people have dealt with, deal with emotion by eating right and so recognizing the cues in our bodies so that we can actually do something that is a more nourishing right? It's going to help us rather than immobilize us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So I want to take a little bit of like a turn onto a bit of a different topic and dive more into how you coach and how you approach things. So for me personally, I feel like you really had this intuitive sense about what I actually needed when I came to you for coaching. So when I came to you, I was like, please help me manufacture more desire for my now ex and please help me stop feeling attracted to this client who is now my boyfriend. And, <laughs> and in, um, in one of the emails you sent back, you said something along the lines of like, 
we can definitely work on your goals together, but keep in mind that your goals could change. So do you have this like intuitive sense about your clients coming to you wanting this thing, but you just sensing that they need something else entirely? Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. And, you know, I, I'm a true believer that I'm attracted to clients as much as clients are attracted to me. Right. It, and that has to be a match. Um, and I, I've always held to the fact that if there's not a fit, if, you know, it's, it works both ways, right. Client can say, this is not a fit. I'm not going to work with you on the same token. I'm not going to work with a client that I don't feel is in alignment because I'm doing a disservice. Uh, so I am a very intuitive person and I work with energy and that's what I do on a personal level. I'm also a Reiki master as well. Um, and and so, yes, and, but the, the part of this is, is that it's being able to hold that space with the energy and provide the, what's, I'm trying to think of, of the, you know, it's, it's basically asking the questions in a way that clients will formulate their own discovery and really allowing them to evolve in that. But uh, I do find that it's, you know, even before I go into session, I do spend time really just being present and, and prepping and holding that person's vision in my space so I can get in tune with them. Um, and I find that's such great work in terms of energy. And I'm such a believer in that. <laughs> and crazy enough, like some people are going to go, oh, okay, this is, she's out there. But I will get very strong visions, um, sometimes in the middle of the night, uh, sometimes after a session. And, uh, and you know, I, I take that sort of all into the my repertoire of how I'm going to support that client. So I am all about energy <laughs> and all those different things. So that's fantastic. And I am wildly curious now did you ever have any visions about like <laughs> our work together <laughs> um I did I did and it um one of the biggest visions that I had is when you describe now your current partner what was so strong was this color it was like it was this and I you know it, it's not really it was this brightness like Every time, okay, well, first of all, I could see it in your body language, right? But but it was like literally I had the, was overcome with this like glow. And it was it and that I know that was the energy between you. And it was so interesting because I as you know, as sort of the observer with that. I, I was observing this sort of not, and I don't think you would I would say it's fair to call it a resistance, but it was the uncertainty still on your part because you hadn't you hadn't kind of crossed over into that full acceptance of like yes this is the person I really want to be with and we're in alignment right so I found it so fascinating that here I am with this such a strong intention that you both have that energy and, and you but you're sort of you were leading up to it right <laughs> and it was super fun <laughs> Oh, and now I like feel like I am that like glow all the time. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. And you know, the what's so exciting about all of this and is the play side. And I can't stress this enough. And I mean it also from 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 me as a as a worker bee, right? As like I want to be playful in this. I want to, 
because life is about play and pleasure, right? And so, but on the flip side, it's this like, as we can go through life and yeah, we're going to make really big decisions and decisions are going to be super tough and life is going to be challenging sometimes. But when we can also bring this play side into it, like, Ooh, it's just like unfolding and curious and exciting. Like that's so awesome. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> yes. And I think there is such a tendency to just take everything really seriously and act like it's a drudgery. So that's been something that I work on and I, loved the other people work on is like just lightening up and laughing even if like something's a little aggravating just being able to see the humor in it and just you know going about your merry way and making things more playful absolutely absolutely and uh, I you know full disclosure you are such an inspiring person and uh, it was you're such a joy like seriously to (laughs) to work alongside and so uh yeah it's been a wonderful journey oh well thank you I appreciate that you're welcome so do you have any favorite like practices for incorporating more play into your life or do you prefer kind of just the spontaneity whatever happens in the moment kind of thing yeah that's I love spontaneity um but I also realized that you know life can have lots of commitments too and sometimes the spontaneity we have to be super flexible with right um I also see huge value in um the not only the intention but the execution so putting things in place putting in a schedule and I oftentimes I hesitate saying that because people are like ah scheduling is not sexy scheduling certainly can be sexy (laughs) um and the thing is is that we as humans and I'll speak directly for myself is like I love to anticipate that like gets my juices going I get the tingling and I'm like oh and as much as I like spontaneity I also like the anticipation right so and that comes with all things like I'm going to plan an awesome hike I'm going to do a kick-ass workout I'm going to have great sex on Sunday or whatever right like (laughs) so I (laughs) uh full disclosure but (laughs) hopefully um so I I yeah so to play and it's also like Okay, so if I schedule, I want to at least make some allowances. And, uh, and so meaning that sometimes when we schedule, we can be very rigid in our scheduling, like, okay, from 1.15 to like four, and if it doesn't happen, I'm gonna be disappointed. Well, that's expectation then, right? Mm-hmm. So I encourage for myself and for those that I work with, if you're going to bring scheduling in, in a, in a fun and sexy way, allow some breathing room, meaning that if you go for a hike and maybe it ends up being pouring rain at the top that you, you know, you bring an extra blanket and you huddle and you pack some hot chocolate or you decide to can a hike and go and sit and have a beer in some funky lounge. You know what I mean? Like, but it doesn't have to be an ultimate disappointment just because it didn't turn out that way. Bring that play, bring that curiosity, you know, and fantasy too. Like we can, that's like, that's ours, right? Like we can go to the greatest realms in fantasy. Sometimes we might want to share it and sometimes we might not. Right. And that's all right. So (laughs) I, um, and, and I find that too, is that kids, like going back to the kids thing is like, before kids are basically told no, <clears throat> which generally is around the age of three, four, their world is totally imaginary, right? It's like they spend every waking moment in fantasy. And so that is super cool, right? Like I want to, so it's, I, I want to live more into fantasy and play and uh, allow space for that. 
Mm-hmm. That is such a great way of doing it is almost like creating the container and like creating some like white space on your calendar for it, but not being like over attached. You're just knowing like, I'm going to play in this space. And this is a kind of general idea that I have, but I'm willing to flow and let like this or something better happen. Cause I think that can happen a lot when you just create the space for something like that to occur. Totally. And I see that's sort of the greatest downfall with a lot of couples is that they, because they're in a pattern of like, we have to do this. If we don't do this, I'm going to be disappointed. And then all that resentment sets in. It's like, let's go at this from the perspective of we're going to set a time for play. We're going to set a time for creativity. We're going to set a time just to be in each other's space and maybe set some parameters around that, but let's not make it so tight that if it doesn't turn out exactly the way we want it, we're not leaving that situation, hitting ourselves and hitting the other person, right? Mm-hmm. Really look at this as a time for connect, connection and exploration. And all the rest is icing on the cake. Exactly. Yes. It's not so much about the specific activities that are happening. It's just about like creating that container and that like fluid playground, like whatever that looks like on a given day. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So another question for you, this podcast is all about balancing the divine feminine with the divine masculine. So I would love to know, do you see a lot of imbalance in your coaching work? So for example, women who are very much in their masculine and it's creating some issues in relationship. Yes, (laughs) that's the long and the short of the answer. And, And on the flip side too, I also see a lot of men that really want to nourish more of the feminine energy, but are uncomfortable and they and don't know how. So I'll speak from the perspective of the feminine energy for a moment, specifically for like a, a female identified body. <clears throat> um, now that we, you know, I, I, I kind of hesitate to say like, we are a multitasking society and women tend to take on a lot more, I am generalizing here, a lot more multitasking, especially if they are, you know, they're working, they may be a mom as well, they might be taking care of a parent or multiple parents, right, Um, and have many, many things on the go. So in order to to kind of keep the balls in the air, if you will, it does require sort of a shift in, you know, their direction. So we as a coping mechanism have to now become a little bit more linear, despite the fact that we have all these sort of multitasking, right? Our energies are going into more of an, a masculine side of energy, but it does come with a cost. The cost is exhaustion, number one. Um, and when we are exhausted, we know we get, first of all, we get a rise in cortisol, we get a drop in estrogen. And, and when that happens is that we tend to then go numb out and it's like, we're now going into survival zone that the last thing we are really wanting is sex, or even at that point is like heightened sensation. Right. So it really, first of all, it's about becoming aware because sometimes when we are so busy multitasking, we're now operating on that mouse wheel that we don't know how to get off of. Right. So the first part is that awareness piece. The second is, okay, how, how are we going to bring in that component of self-care more, which I know is a buzz term, but many don't necessarily know what that truly means for self-care and in self-care when we are starting to now 
have more presence with our body and relax our nervous system, it then naturally, because we are cyclic beings, we are going to now come back into more alignment and we're starting to start to feel sensation again. So it's, it's such now the, the challenges in a coupled relationship, because masculine energy for, for the masculine, they're very much about the, you know, they want to be the caretaker for the woman, right? They, they want to be the one that's the rock. They want to be the one that looks after. Now, if you have this, this really kind of linear, uh, strong masculine energy female, then where it leaves the male in the relationship is like, well, she doesn't need me, right? She doesn't need me. What am I here for? And that resentment, and to the point that they don't want me, I'm not good enough. Now we're not getting needs up, we're not getting sex. You know, sex is such a strong outlet for men. So it, it's really now, okay, let's, how do we sort of work with this energy? And on the same token that, you know, now, now this, the, the woman that is like, has all these balls in the air, at that point, they're wanting recognition, right? They're wanting the recognition, like, wait, I'm doing all this work. I'm doing all this for the family. Why aren't you recognizing me? Why aren't you taking care of my needs? And it's like creates a separation in the relationship. Uh, so, um, yeah. So, so number one is the awareness. When, once they both come to awareness, if they're in the relationship, now we have something to work with, right? We can start creating more balance and communication is the key with all of this. It's like, you know, what are you doing that is working? What do I value about you, right? It's acknowledging the other person of what they're doing, what you care about them. How, how can we support your needs? What more do you need from me so that we can actually spend time together as a couple being intimate and doing things that are really important in our relationship? That's, it's a lot to uncover, but <laughs> it's now, and then just speaking from the, the male perspective, I, it's an interesting time for men because, you know, we've gone through this Me Too movement. And um, I think there's from, particularly for the men I work with, there's a lot of fear. And the fear is like, how do I operate now? Like, I, I'm a nice guy, I'm a respectful guy, but I'm kind of afraid how to express myself because I, I am afraid that it might come across as the wrong way. Um, and so it's, it's really talking about how do we communicate consent? How do we communicate our needs in a consensual format? How do we communicate our desires in a, in a consensual format and, and working with the couples and what I call the wheel of consent. It's sort of like navigating um, what we want to do for the other person and with the other person and what we want that other person to do for us. So it's, um, there's a, there's a lot going on these days for couples. <laughs> yes. And I think you said it beautifully when that communication piece is so key because every relationship is going to have its very own dynamic and for both people to know, like what is desired and what is consented is so important to have that safety. Safety is number one. I mean, safety, a lot of times people think, oh, if a relationship's too safe, it's going to stifle. No, if, if you if you have a safe enough relationship, then you can do lots of that relationship and have lots of room for play. Absolutely, yes. And for those women that you might work with that they're in that um, more masculine energy, the man's like, she doesn't even need me. She's not letting me take care of her. And the women, like, do they often struggle with allowing themselves to be taken care of, allowing themselves to receive? 
Absolutely. Uh, and it, it's, you know, I hear this all the time. I, and, and I'm going to quote unquote here is that they'll say that I have a really hard time asking for help. I have a really hard time accepting help because it makes me feel that I'm not good enough, that I'm not doing enough. And, and so it's sort of breaking down those barriers of like, where did that come from? Where is that messaging from? You know, um, h- how, yeah, how can we slowly start to allow um, help and assistance and support to come into your lives in a loving, respectful format? Um, and, you know, I'll admit for a big part of my, my life of growing up, I, I caretaked my parents. So my, my role modeling was that I need to be the caretaker of everybody else. And, and so it was like, I left my own being last and it wasn't until I started to realize and learn how to set healthy boundaries, then I was able to really bring in pleasure um, and, and intimacy and vulnerability, because if we are not able to accept help and support, we become, uh, we're in survival mode, right? And so it's very difficult to step into our vulnerability when we are constantly in survival mode. Uh, and in vulnerability, there's so much magic that can happen. There's so much we can explore about ourselves and discover about what we really want in the world. Mm-hmm. So that vulnerability and that ability to ask for help can genuinely deepen our relationships as well. It sounds like. Yeah. And I talk about sexually, you know, I, I hear this as a, a lot as well. Like the, the male in the relationship will say, well, I ask her and she doesn't know what she wants. And the female will say, well, I don't really know what I want. Right. Well, okay. Let, let's, let's take a back step here for a minute. So from the work that I do, I always come from a place of our own sexual agency. So meaning that we as individuals are first responsible for our sexual well-being, And then in a relationship, it's really how we bring that together. So I'm not making me, my partner responsible for my sexual well-being, right? That's my job first. And what I bring into the relationship is like the juice, right? So um, it's, it's sort of unpacking that. It's about how do we do self-care around our sexual needs? How do we nourish our body? How do we acknowledge pleasure for ourselves? Once we kind of get to that point, the next step is how do we communicate about it in a way that's respectful, loving, and consensual? And how do we work with that and still allow room for uh, curiosity and and play? Mm -hmm. You made a really powerful point is that everyone does need to take that sexual responsibility first and foremost, instead of like looking to find it externally and like, why isn't this guy doing it? But no, we like being able to have that connection to ourselves and start to figure those things out. So I think that was a really powerful point. Yeah. And one more thing I will add, it's interesting now because thankfully, you know, we are, we're, you know, evolved beings and, and women in particular, I mean, there's a lot of mixed messaging still in the media, right. But, but there's more women that are embracing their sexuality and their sexual power. And I don't mean that in a narcissistic way, uh, we can have sexual power that is, is very beneficial to us and to the world. Uh, and, but but from this sort of the masculine energy side, sometimes when there's a very sexually empowered woman, uh, I get on the flip side from men going, OK, this is really exciting. 
but I'm scared, right? Like they're scared of letting them down. They're scared that they're not going to be enough. They're scared. Like, what do I do in this? Right. So again, it's kind of shifting the dynamic a little bit. So um, it's actually, okay, we can work with this excitement and let's work on minimizing expectation because expectation is what is the killer of like happy and healthy sex. Right. (laughs) So Yeah. So just that, like you said, open-mindedness, curiosity, and playfulness and treating it as like a journey versus this destination we need to get to. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one thing I wanted to touch on a little bit before we kind of wrap up, because I want to be respectful of your time is one of the things you really helped me with was owning my desires instead of always vilifying them. And I think a big part of that vilifying of my desires came from shame. And you talked about how that's always going to be there to some degree, but we can start to work with it. So how do you really work with clients to minimize that shame while helping them own their desires? Well, it it first starts from creating an environment of, I say, safe enough. So there needs to be a level of trust uh, in with the client and and myself, right? They need to be able to trust that I'm going to be able to hold the space for them in in their exploration, right? Um, And and regardless of the exploration is occurring outside of session, it's still sort of an avenue that they they have or an outlet that they have as a safe place. So that's where it's going to start. And it's going at a pace that is mindful of, your own body. So, you know, here we are inundated all around us with sexuality, right? In the media, like every, from every realm at the click of a button. So sometimes it, it can be create anxiety uh, that we have to be living up to a certain standard, right? Um, on the flip side, particularly if we are experiencing level of shame, it's like almost to the, the point of like shutdown that I don't even know where to start. So it's really, again, working with the client at their own pace to gradually start to explore their themselves and their likes and desires. And it's literally, it it can be minute by minute or day by day. It's very dependent on the client. A lot of times clients don't they haven't been exposed, like, and I mean, that, it's a bit of a pun on words here, but from an education standpoint, like if we look at uh, kids often have not had any sexual health education. So we grew up as adults and we've, we've learned through the media or maybe some buddies on a schoolyard. So we don't necessarily have a lot of knowledge as to where can I get information to explore? What are some clubs that I can join? What else is out there, right? And so that's also part of the work that I do is providing them with resources so that they can explore at their pace, at their own pace for that. I think that giving them that knowledge and letting them realize that, you know what, whatever your thing is, you aren't alone and that there is a place for you to be able to nurture whatever that thing is is so important yeah and and not putting it in a black and white format right and i and uh so it's like okay this is what you like then honor what you like you know acknowledge that right um where that obviously would cause harm if it's being um 
inflicted on another person uh, that is causing harm that's non-consensual format. But if it's something that is your own and it nourishes you and your pleasure and your desire, then absolutely enjoy. (laughs) And, and just, and wow, like, and that's why that fantasy world is so beautiful because generally speaking, what we explore in fantasy is not necessarily what we're doing in real life. Mm -hmm. It's that playfulness and adventure in just another format. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I just want to thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Such a great conversation. And as we wrap up, I just love to know what you're up to and how you're helping people and working with people at this time. Thanks so much. So all my work is online. So it's over a a video format, a Zoom format. I work with clients all over North America. I choose North America right now because time differences with Europe are, can be a little challenging, but I do accept clients from Europe. And uh, it always starts off with a complimentary discovery call. We want to make sure that this is a fit, that you're going to be comfortable, that I can really support you in what, what you're wanting to achieve individually or within your relationship. And uh, so I am uh, generally clients work with me over a period of a few months. It's very much dependent on what they're going to want to work on. Um, I am doing a number of workshops coming up. Uh, there's, I have a few that are around uh, women and pleasure and consent and all my upcoming workshops will be posted on my website. And my website is choicesforsexualhealth.com. Awesome. Thank you. And I will make sure to include those links when I post the episode. And um, are you taking on clients this time? Because I know sometimes you are, sometimes your roster is full. Yeah, you bet. So I will be taking on a new client starting the first week in November. Okay. Awesome. So this is actually... This episode will air next Wednesday. So that's the 13th, I think, something like that. So yeah, I will uh, make sure that we're talking November, 2021, in case this is someone listening in the future. And yeah, I'll send the links for everyone their way if they are interested in checking out uh, your work and working with you, because I, I've worked with a number of coaches and counselors and all those things in my lifetime. And you've been one of the most pivotal ones and I cannot thank Aww, you enough. Thank so. you. I'm so honored. And I'm, it's just been a true pleasure being with you this morning and being part of your podcast. So thank you so much. And to the listeners as well. Yes, you are very welcome.